And we're back with another episode of the Blockbuster Hall of Fame. Today we are discussing Midnight in Paris. Just get straight to the point here. Yorton, thumbs up, thumbs down. What are your thoughts? It's all right. <laughs> Sideways thumbs? Just, yeah, just, yeah, okay. There's Jared? parts that I thought was really clever, and then I'll, I guess we'll go on to it later. <laughs> okay. Jared? Um, my thoughts were I thought it was a you know, decent movie. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I guess I'll use this opportunity to talk about my thoughts uh, yeah. of Woody Allen. Uh, do, do we have to get into this? I don't... Yes. <laughs> All yes. right, go ahead. Go into it. Um, I did not want to watch this movie for that reason. Yeah. I don't want to support the man. I don't want to give him any money. He is a child predator and a... Yeah. Molester at home. So I don't want to support this man at all. But with all that being said, this this is a good movie. Um, I will leave it at that. I I just have to get that off my chest because yeah, now I will now I will assess the movie for the movie, not for my disdain or dislike. For Woody Allen and who he is and what he stands for. So I'm going to address the movie as is. Um, so as is, I enjoyed this film. I will just, let's just get this, let's just knock it out. We'll spend a couple of minutes talking about it. I am not familiar with Woody Allen movies. Like I'm not some guy who goes deep in Woody Allen movies. Um, when I saw this movie, I would say about four or five years ago, I was just like, wow, this is I'm surprised. This is really, really good. And I was like, oh, man, I like this style. You know, and then it's like a couple years later, you find out some stuff about Woody Allen. You're like, oh, man, do I have to, like, hate everything he does now? So, like, I definitely probably won't watch any more of his future movies or anything. You know, it's hard. It's, it's weird because it's like, yeah, the movie's good. It's really good. But it's like, I hate that it's made by Woody Allen. You know, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, I agree with you. Um, I was texting um, one of our former guests, uh, Philip Clespis, um, while I was watching the movie. And I was like, you know what? For all this movie, like, again, I, I will not mention Woody Allen again. We got that out of the way. Uh, so I said, this movie's good, but you know what would make it better? If Wes Anderson directed it. Yeah. And then he texted me back and he was like, you mean because it's like a pseudo, like it's a Wes Anderson movie? And I was like, yes, that's the vibe that I'm getting. I was getting like complete Wes Anderson vibes watching this movie. And I was like, man, if Wes Anderson directed this, it would be knock out of park. And he said right back to me, it's just like, no, this is this is a Wes Anderson movie. For now on, it's been given to Wes Anderson. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like with his direction style of like the way that he does movies and like with the quippy dialogue and then the center frame focus for all of his shots. I was just like, man, uh, this would have been great because I mean, Woody Allen directed it with sort of like off center shots and like scanning shots as uh, yeah. people walked. But then Wes Anderson has everything center frame. And I was like, this would have actually fit that movie a little bit better because the city of Paris would have been in the main shot for everything instead of following people as they walk while showing the background, but like every single shot, it would have been the focus. Hmm. I wonder, I, I would like to see that version because I feel like Paris was a huge part of this movie. We'll talk about it. And I love seeing <laughs> it. Um, I'm curious. That would be, that'd be fun to watch. Um, okay. We'll just give this movie to Wes Anderson. That's fine by me. Um, <laughs> hey, but yeah, so we talked about it. Let's just, I don't, right, I'm not knowledgeable enough to, or smart enough to talk politically about a bunch of stuff. So I'm like, let's acknowledge it. Let's get it out of the way. And then let's start talking about the movie as it is, just like a movie, right? Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the characters. We got Owen Wilson as Gil. I thought he was essentially playing a version of Woody Allen in this movie. And I thought he was, it was actually really good in this movie. He was really good. I thought he was like, my wife hates me because I'm kind of like this. She doesn't hate me. That sounds weird. She hates that I'm like him. 
in that I'm a romantic. I'm like, let's just go to Paris for a week. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, let's just do it, man. Let's just go to Paris for a week. We'll make it work. And she's like, no, you're always daydreaming. I'm like, no, it could happen. We could do it. And so I see a lot of myself in the main character. Jordan, did you like the main character? I thought the main character was fine. Uh, I, I think, yeah, he's definitely a romantic. And I think the, the movie played well off of the romantic uh, thoughts that he would want. I saw him very much as just like loving a certain time period, just as much as mm-hmm. the as uh, Paris itself. So for me... Yes, Paris was the backdrop, but for me, this was this movie about the 20s and the excitement of the 20s. Well, okay. Well, I want to get to you in a second, Jared, but I'm curious about you guys. You brought up the 20s. I'm like, oh, man, I should have started off with this. Like, Did you enjoy that little twist where the first time he's taken back and he's like discovering what's happening and you're watching it? I, I really enjoyed uh, that. I think I... I surprisingly figured that out pretty quick, and I'm, I think I was more just wondering, I wonder when he's going to click, and then how <laughs> is he going to handle and know when to come back to it? Because really, it was right off the bat I figured it out. It was just because I was seeing the other cars from the 20s, and I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. okay, they must be in the 20s even before they pulled into the party because I'm like, you normally don't see, like, oh, Oh, fine, you have one car in the 20s, but then yeah. other cars? Oh, okay, they time-traveled and just found a clever way to do a time-traveling thing. I felt like, Jared, I felt like watching him react to what's going on and discover it was a lot of the fun of this movie. Oh, definitely. So I enjoyed uh, the, just the very first scene when he sees uh, Zelda Fitzgerald. And it's like, yeah. hey, Zelda, okay, cool. Uh, then it's like, ah, oh, Scott Fitzgerald. Wait a he's second. Like, <laughs> Scott? Yeah, we're the Fitzgeralds. And he's like, ah, uh, and then, hey, there goes Hemingway over there. He's like, wait a minute. How much did I drink? Like he <laughs> recognizes like, the music yeah, and the piano and everything. It's like, yeah, oh, and so is... like, it was just like, yeah, this guy wrote it. It was like, no, but he's on my sheet music. What do you mean he wrote it? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just thought that was really cool and really clever. And to watch, because you actually have to like watch his gears turn in real time. Yeah. And so it's really good how how it was um, made and how because a lot of times when actors or actresses and characters in movies like come to a conclusion, you really don't see the gears turn or you don't feel like they're turning. But him, uh, Gil, in that moment, you could see him piece together, and it was just a great piece together because. I mean, as we're watching, and so if you don't know the premise, like, you're putting the pieces together with him, and so mm-hmm. it's just a great synchronicity of completing the yeah, puzzle. Yeah, he, he's us. He represents how we would be acting and reacting at that yes. moment, right? Um, I, will, I will say, as an English teacher in high school, this was like a an English teacher movie. Like You got F. Scott Fitzgerald there, the writer of The Great Gatsby, and... His story is just as engaging as The Great Gatsby, right? And then you run into Picasso and all this stuff, and it's just like, oh, my God. this is You definitely have to have some knowledge of uh, just art history almost to like oh, yeah. fully and appreciate this movie. The entire Salvador Dali part. Uh, shout out Adrian Brody. Yeah. I love him. That's in the my entire, uh, The rhinoceroses. And it was just like, <laughs> that's I don't in the know best anything scenes. about Salvador Dali, but... That's Salvador Dali now. Adrian Brody is Salvador Dali. I, and rhinoceroses are the greatest things ever. So it's just like every little scene that they did when they introduced uh, a new and like different character, it was just like, it was fun. Uh, especially mm-hmm. like Kathy Bates' Gertrude Stein. Like, oh, yeah. It was fun. It, and yeah, I mean, that's why I say I enjoy the movie. I did enjoy it. Um, so this is not the first time Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams were together. They were in, what was it, The Wedding Crashers together, right? Um, Rachel McAdams in this movie does a great job being a horrible person as Inez. Um, worst fiancé ever, right, Jordan? Uh-oh, Jordan's muted. <laughs> Drink. Wow, it's been a while. <laughs> Drink. Uh, it, I, has, it has I, been a while. Yeah. 
I, I think that was one of the parts that sort of annoyed me with the movie was the fact that, you know, I, I understand, you know, they were supposed to break up and she's not right for him. But it, it's sort of like when they go on the way to opposite level. Mm-hmm. And that's what that sort of rubbed me in the movie. I'm not blaming her for it because that's what the part she played. But it was just it sort of turned me off about like, why is this guy with her? I don't get this. And his hesitation and everything of like with her just because he doesn't care. And I feel like it was sort of like an unneeded part of the story, to be honest. I liked it. I felt like it was like she is he I feel like he feels like she's out of his league and he's, he's captured something like I have to hold on. She's so hot. But then. Because he's, I mean, I'm did not, he? I mean, he, I I didn't get any of that from him because he didn't seem to be like always googling over her or anything like no, that. No, I'm just trying to justify his actions for staying with her. I'm you know? I'm agreeing with Jordan on there. I uh, that was probably one of the that was probably the biggest piece of the movie that I did not necessarily enjoy for the enjoyable moments with the uh, um, pop culture references of the 1920s. I just did not care about the 2010s period at all. So I spent like most of the movie like, can you take me back, please? Like, <laughs> I'm tired of wasting my time in the 2010s. I didn't care about, obviously, Inez. And they like they made the character to like, oh, so I don't care for her. Yeah. So she's I don't dark. like her and yeah. I don't care for her. But yeah, she's taking up my screen time. Uh, Martin Sheen was exactly what they called him in the movie, pedantic. So I didn't really care for him. And I, there was just so much in the 2010s I didn't really care for, but like the 1920s parts were like perfect. Every single part in the 20s was perfect, and I felt like I wish they could have captured some of that that fire, that energy in the other sequences of the movie. Because man, if you could just like string together a movie of like the 1920s, like that's winning the Oscars. Mm-hmm. That's winning tons of Oscars. I disagree a little bit, but I understand where that you guys are coming from. That was a segue for the Oscar section. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Um, that was a that, I said, that was a layup segue. No, no, we like, got more characters to talk about. We'll come back. That we'll was, come back. No, no, nope, we're coming back. Um, like a Lob City segue. Look, I got a list of notes here of discussion topics, <laughs> and I can't jump five different things. Otherwise, I get lost. I do like to segue, though, so I'm going to knock my table, and when I do that, that's your turn to segue back into it. Um <laughs> Okay, so Rachel McAdams did a great job being a horrible person, and she's pretty good at that. You look at Mean Girls, you know, she's like almost recapturing that magic of just being a bitch, right? She's pretty good at that. Um, Michael Sheen is someone else who did such a good job that I hated him in this movie. Oh, yeah. I hate people like him. He did a fantastic job, but I just hated the character. Yeah. But I understand why he was in there. So it's like I can do with two characters that I hate. I mean, I can do with one of the characters that I hate a lot. Like, it's either got to be Martin Sheen or Rachel McAdams. You can't have them both, like, eating up so much screen time mm-hmm. for characters that I hate. And what am I enjoying about that about that scene? What am I enjoying about that sequence? Well, um, I would argue it I'll sets up Kathy Bates' line later um, because it's my quote of the movie. Mm-hmm. But essentially, why are they both dominating the screen so much when they're in the 2010s. I would argue, and I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think you have to have a little bit of him. Maybe, maybe they did too much, but I, I love that they set up that he's such a douchebag. Like there's a scene where he's sniffing wine. He's like, I thought it'd be more smoky. And I was like, oh, shut the hell up. Right? Yeah. But it sets up. Hold up. It sets up a, a, a moment when he's wrong about a painting and um, a Picasso painting. And Owen Wilson's like, well, actually, this is a painting over blah, blah, blah. And he goes into this whole story and just like oh, yeah. rubs it in his face. I was like, yes, just just rub that shit all in his face. Oh, yeah. So I was going to say, like, at the beginning, um, when he first came onto the scene and he first was doing his pedanticness, Ugh, I don't know yeah. if that's a word. Um, so, like, that, like, obviously, that's necessary because they have to, like, establish the character. And, like, so the foundation of him, but it's just like, Every time they still gave him that much dedication moving forward, it's just like we get it, we get it, we mm. got it, we get it. He's you a douche. We get it. You don't gotta like keep like, oh, hey, guess what? He's a douche. 
yeah, I figured that out like 30 minutes ago. Like, what are we still doing here? Well, let's talk about characters we loved. Corey Stoll as Hemingway. Oh, dude. He was so that was good. The, that that uh, to me I'm, was a shining light in this movie right here. For me, too. Everything he was talking about, I was just like, oh, you nailed him. Just <laughs> the sheer craziness of Ernest Hemingway. Whatever you read, like, hit stuff about him in this. Just so serious. <laughs> I'm sure Jared, I think, had the opposite reaction. Why don't you share what you thought, man? Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now. He's my MVP. <laughs> yeah, he's on my list, too. Corey Stoll was amazing in this movie. He did such a, like, as Jordan just said, such a good job. And, like, uh, obviously, um, we all know, like, Hemingway books, because we all went to high school, read his books, and Ray is uh, unfortunate or fortunately teaching his oh, books. Depends what. So, um, <laughs> uh, no, we all know about Hemingway. And then just to see him, like, true to life character is just like, Wow, yeah, this is awesome. He had some lines that were just like, Owen Wilson's like, well, no, no, I don't box. I mean, yeah, but no, no, I don't box. <laughs> just the way he delivered some of these lines. Did um, you think you're the best writer in this room? Is you want to box? <laughs> so fucking random. He's like, you're going to box me for it? For Have you ever made love to a beautiful woman? Writing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah my fiance is pretty hot. Um, anyways, um, yeah, Hemingway, he was fantastic. He, You know what? Jared, you would like this. He's Manu Ginobili on those Spurs teams where he, he comes off the bench and goes for 50 and is the MVP of the game. You oh, know? yeah. Like, he's not supposed to be the MVP, but he did such a damn good job. It's like, he's so just what I'm saying. Huh? He's not, like, he shouldn't be in the MVP category, but it's like, oh, no, like, this guy is, like, to me personally, he is the MVP because he's just not, in the, he's like, what, third, fourth, fifth billing in this movie, but... He's like the he's best. He's pretty guy. far down on the IMDb when you look at yeah. the placement. He probably and had like four scenes. Yeah, yeah. But like but every, every scene that he was, had, he just he just made you like wow. But it's like out. the best scenes of the movie. Yeah. Um, I thought Tom Hiddleston was the perfect F. Scott Fitzgerald. Like, if you look at the back of The Great Gatsby and see the photo, you're like, oh hey, it's Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. <laughs> He really looks like he fit the part for that time period, I feel like, with that. Yeah, he does. He, I don't know. Like, I can't think of, I can't, I think the casting in this movie was pretty spot on. I don't know who I would change out. I don't think I would change anybody except the, maybe the director. Um, <laughs> Marion Cotillard, uh, yeah. Cotillard as a love interest. I'm like, you ever seen that Seinfeld episode where Jerry's dating this girl who, like, he can't recognize her sometimes because, she looks different in the light, in different lights, like shades of light. Yeah. That's how I feel with Marion Cotillard. Like, sometimes I'm like, she's beautiful. And sometimes I'm like, is that the same woman? Like, I don't know. But I thought she was pretty in this movie. And I thought she did a good job. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone else could have played her. But I have no complaints. I would give her No, I thought, I thought she was really good for the role. And plus, you want to get... They wanted to get like a, tr I assume you wanted to get a true to life like French actress to play this role. Mm -hmm. um, so I think she did a really good job, obviously, um, playing this character. And I agree with you in this sense that is she attractive? No, she is. But then it's, you look at her certain lights, you're like, I'm not sure. But then, like in this movie, it's just like, holy hell, yeah, she is. So. I don't know. I thought it was a really good casting because she played like her character was flawless to me. Well, till the end when she doesn't realize I, the yeah, yeah, that yeah. too. That, you're right. You're yeah, right. that did take a nosedive. It's like, damn it, just stay with me, woman. Um, Jared, I'm done with my characters, but do you want to talk about Kathy Bates in this movie? Yes. Uh, so for all of our <laughs> longtime listeners. Um, I am a huge Kathy Bates fan. And so in this film, she played Gertrude. What's the last name? I keep forgetting. Stein. Gertrude Stein. Yes. Yeah. She's a 1920s author. Gertrude Stein wrote a semi-autobiographical book about her lesbian lover at the time. And obviously it's the 1920s and um, just anywhere. And it's just you have a same-sex lover, it's always like looked down upon a question, but then 
So she became this famous writer when she talked about it. And so she was fully open. She was a little bit ahead of her time when it came to those things. So she had one of my favorite lines of the movie. Let me pull up my notes. Sorry, my phone restarted. So I got to get my notes from the computer. Are you talking about the, the line where she's like, he doesn't understand why you don't see the main character. The main character doesn't understand he's being cheated on or something. We all feared... Nope. Death in question to our place in the universe. The artist's job is not to succumb to despair, but to find an antidote for the emptiness of existence. So that's the, that's the line that she said in the movie. And so it's just, it's on the, and so that's what I was talking about, about in the 2010s where we're like being beat over the head by these two assholes, by these two douchebags. It's just like, I felt like we focused too much on that and that's when it goes into like despair and it's time for the artist. So in this case, Woody Allen to focus on the light in the world. And I don't feel like we got enough of the light in the world in this movie and the light that he did show was great. And some of the light that he did not. Sh- Sorry. No, I saw heart. your cat do it. Your cat just knocked it off. Yeah. Well, Got it. You're good. I'll say, I'll, I'll keep the conversation going. I feel like they try to bring that light into the, the 2010 world with the girl at the rec. I guess, I don't know what shop it was. It was just a shop in Paris. Um, mm-hmm. James Bond's girlfriend, <laughs> Leah Sado. Um, but I feel like they try to bring that hope with her and they kind of brought it back around at the end. Um, Yorton, did you like the parents in this movie? Because I felt like the parents in this movie did a great job being terrible human beings that I'd want to eat, that I'd want to eat dinner with. We're talking about the parents, Jared, and how we would not want to eat dinner with these people. <laughs> oh, I, no. I sort of, they were like, awful. They were so awful. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm like, I can't get mad at the parents just because I, it, Izzy was just so bad that I'm like, of course the it parents think. They don't fit. Why? They're like, why is she with him? This makes no sense. God, just the line of the the mom talking about like, the cheap is cheap when she when he's like, I'm not spending twenty thousand dollars on a chair, and she's like, all right, cheap is cheap, I guess. It's like, okay, lady, you are out of your mind. Only a necklace when she goes cheap is cheap. Well, she also, I think she said it too at the hearing at the at the chair shop or whatever. Oh, I didn't remember hearing them in the chair shop because it was a mood ring. I honestly was sort of felt the same way where it's like, come on, man. Yeah, you don't buy a grown up a mood ring. You got some money here, clearly. You don't, you're writing for movies and stuff. You you don't need to go that cheap. And of course, you'd be like, really? Uh, Are are we 10? (laughs) I sort of felt like a mood ring. I'm just joking. Hey, so I saw a list that actually our buddy Philip tweeted out. It had top 10 comedies of the 21st century, and it had Midnight in Paris, and it also had um, Lost in Translation. And I'm like, I don't count those as comedies. I count. I don't know what I would count I them as, but not comedies. But I would say comedy. Slice of Life, like Yorton said. I don't know, though. Just anything but comedy. Jared, what would you categorize this movie as? Um, this movie does have comedy elements, but to call this like a true comedy, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And I mean, like, it's one of those things like with Woody Allen, like he's supposed to be a comedic writer. So they just label his movies like comedy, things of that nature. But I like, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess Jordan, did you coin the term? Was it always a term slice of life? Oh, it's a very popular anime term. I, oh. I just used it in the. Uh, we don't have very much for the slice of life category in the United States. But it's not really a slice of life either because no part of our life do we travel back to a favorite time period. So I would well, say... No, really, really, if you want to go uh, the anime this is an isekai right here into another oh, sorry, world. <laughs> isekai. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, we're going deep now. Let's not. I don't know. I don't uh, want to go to that rebel. Um, all, all, all it means is another world. So it's like you when you travel somewhere else from your world. Mm-hmm. I and would, so it'd be either time traveling or another uh, planet or st- uh, another world. 
Yeah, isekai. <laughs> I think like the Wes Anderson movies and these movies just fall into the category of indie films. Like it's just an indie film. You know, <laughs> I don't know yeah, how else to describe it. Anderson thing. Um, all right. Uh, another reason, one of the ways I love, one of the reasons I love this movie is the way it incorporates Paris, right? Paris is a huge part of the story. It's a huge part of what you see. It's beautifully shot. Um, and I'm a sucker for movies where the setting is so beautiful and not where I'm currently at. Right. We already talked about the movie push Jared, where it's like, you kind of feel like you're in Hong Kong. Watching that movie, oh my God. we just we just got to do that. We just got to knock it out. I know. Um, that's why I like Lost in Translation so much because it's like I, it's like you're in Japan for two hours or something, right? Um, but that leads me to the cinematography, right? I don't want to mispronounce his name, but it's Darius Konji. I don't know. He he was a cinematographer, and um, Woody Allen asked him, "You're going to shoot this movie, but I need it to be warm colors," and it was definitely very warm and inviting colors i thought he was awesome the cinematographer did it stand out to you at all yorton the colors oh yeah uh the cinematography was probably one of the strongest points of this movie i feel like it was pretty good at showing the scenery and everything but not going like too in-depth and showing off it was just like a nice background Mm -hmm. going on and everything because you know sometimes they you'll have like scenery movies where it's like you feel like it's overtaking the actual movie. Well, this one's just more like, oh, you get the sense and tone and everything with it. So that yeah. nice balance, I felt like. Jared, any thoughts? Uh, I, like I was saying at the beginning, I thought it was well done. I just wish Wes Anderson did it. <laughs> everything no, I mean, I'm perfectly not, I'm not synchronized. Yeah, I, I'm not knocking anything. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done, but I just, for just the feel and the tone that the movie is trying to get off. It's just the Wes Anderson cinematography style would have like benefited this movie greatly. I, I, I'd be down to watch it. Um, it's because I mean, there's like so much art in this movie and being able to have like art in the center of the shot with the character, like standing in front of the art. So you're able to observe the art even more. Mm-hmm. I just think would be just great. Um, all right, let's go to the Oscars here. This movie was nominated for four Oscars in 2012, right? It won Best Original, original Screenplay. Um, it beat out a movie called A Separation, Margin Call, Bridesmaids, and The Artist. And y'all, this Bridesmaids? Yeah, yeah, Best Original Screenplay. Um, <laughs> this is the year of The Artist, though. It, so it won Original Screenplay, and... Rightfully so. I thought it was just wildly inventive and unique and just a fun time. Um, it was nominated for production design. It lost. Uh, the nominees were Warhorse, Harry Potter, and the Deathly Hollows Part 2. The Artist and Hugo ended up winning. Um, I thought the production design was worthy of being nominated. I mean, it really felt like you were kind of in the 20s, right? Um, best Picture... It lost to the artist that year. Man, that year had Tree of Life, Warhorse, Moneyball, Hugo, The Help, Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close, The Descendants. Um, I think Moneyball is my favorite of the ones you listed there. Easily, I love Moneyball. That's a instant rewatchable movie right there. Um, it was nominated. He was nominated as best director as well. He he lost to oh god, Michael. <laughs> Michael Hasanovich, I don't know. The guy who did The Artist. Um, he, uh, Terrence Malick was nominated for Tree of Life, Martin Scorsese, Alexander Payne. So that's a strong year. Um, I think it should have been nominated for cinematography, but it wasn't. But that's my own complaint there. Any thoughts on that before we move on? Um, yeah, it, like you said, it was the year of the artist. Um, they just essentially cleaned up so um can't can't really argue with that do you feel like they should come back to the oscars every 10 years and be like i think we fucked up and like redo the awards no i i hate stuff like that i mean revisionist history no but like 
I mean, we discussed it in our group chat. Uh, they definitely fucked up with the entire like best um, actor category this year. Uh, fucked up so much that the actual winner, Sir Anthony Hopkins, the next morning was like, uh, I guess, but hey, Chadwick Boseman kind of deserved this, but yeah, thanks for the award, guys. Well, I would say <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is probably deserving too, but the whole reason they moved it to the end was because they thought it was going to be Chadwick Boseman, right? Yeah, and so I was actually reading a report uh, from uh, not the New York Times, the New York Post, and like some even some of the voters were just like, "What the hell, guys? We all agreed for this. Like, mm-hmm. I thought we made a pact." <laughs> and it didn't work and out. Some yeah, voters were like, "Well, no, Anthony Hopkins deserved it." And they were like, "Well, yeah, but like, I thought we made like, hey, we we're gonna do this for Chadwick." So, <laughs> so funny. It's just like, well, there's ten thousand. There's like ten thousand right? voters, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it got lost somewhere. Then the memo, I guess. Yeah, it is just like so. I, you know what, Ray? I agree with you because from what we just saw, like, I'm not knocking Sir Anthony Hopkins. He deserved the award just as much, if not more. But it's just like, they don't know what the fuck they're doing half the time. That's the main point of it. That's what like, comes out of this. I think I just think they get blinded by super bullshit. Like, I don't know. Like, I've never seen the artist. I never plan on seeing the artist. I don't know anyone who's seen the artist. And I don't. Well, guess what I'm picking for our next movie. Oh God! Um, all I know is not the artist. No one's gonna <laughs> look back and be like, "Man, the artist was amazing." Where people will come back and talk about Moneyball, and they'll talk about the Descendants or or this movie, right? So I just or Bridesmaids. I don't know. That's just my thought. Bridesmaids. <laughs> I mean, that movie is a classic. <laughs> um, it's so good. Are we ready to move on to categories here? Yes. All right, let's talk about our favorite scenes. I want to talk about briefly the opening scene. Just want to throw it in there. It's not going to win, but all it is is oh, just shots the of Paris. Music was so great. It's just shots of Paris, right? And then you get the, the the music in the background, like like Jared was saying. Um, I, I was like, I want to move there. I just want to live here. It did a good job just making it a city you you you're into already. Any thoughts, Jared? No, I mean, I just thought it was. I thought the music was great. Um, at first, I was like, is this really going to keep going on? But then after a while, like, so at first I was like, this is awesome. Uh-huh. Then I hit the mid-period where I was like, I feel like we're wasting we're time going. here. <laughs> but then by the end of it, I'm like, all right, that was enjoyable. It was just like the middle part. I was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. But like the beginning and end, I was like, I like this. <laughs> it's a good way to get the credits out of the way, right? Oh, yeah. Yorton. My next category is when he meets the Fitzgeralds for the first time. Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald. And just from that moment, it's the first time he goes back in time. Um, who was your favorite encounter to run into? Oh, easily Ernest Hemingway. Okay. He just Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> just because he's already like a crazy out there type of person in real life. And then having the actor just play up to that and just like sell it so well, just made it just that much better. Cause you were talking about the whole boxing thing and everything where he's like, what you're thinking the best uh, writer here. We'll box about it. (laughs) I had to look up some random facts about him just because I knew he did crazy stuff like this. So he once got into a fight with Orson Welles. It happened in the theater where Welles was narrating a film of Hemingway. He didn't like the sarcastic tone that he was using in the movie. So he started swinging away at Orson Welles. They both were missing a bit. And then they finally two stopped, burst out laughing together. And then came lifelong friends. That's awesome. That to me me just sells how much he sold me on that character because that matches that exact tone and random fact on it that's a movie i'd like to see those two together (laughs) just have that fight in the middle of the movie um well that leads me to my next category i mean that category my next nomination was any one-on-one conversation with hemingway so that's that's like two where he just has this one-on-one conversation and you're just you're just watching gil go like huh like 
I mean, yeah, I've made love to a beautiful woman. Where are you going with this? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> um, my next scene is Gil correcting Paul about the Picasso painting. It's just his moment oh. to shine. I love that scene. Um, and it was cool because you're like, fucking tell him. Tell him, Gil. You saw it. You saw it. You, you were there with Picasso. Right? And so it was just cool to watch it. Um, Jared's nominee right here. I'm going to, I'm sure. The conversation with Dolly and the Surrealist. Where he's like, no, like, you don't understand. Like, I'm from the 21st century. And they're like, yeah, you are. You are from the 21st century. And you're in the past. It all makes sense, man. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. (laughs) You can't talk to a surrealist like that, I guess. Um, And you're right. Rhinos. (laughs) Rhinos. He's just obsessed with rhinos. And then I'm going to throw in the missing detective at the end. Where he's just keeps going. Oh, yeah, okay, that was one part where I got a laugh from was the missing detective. Oh, I laughed so hard because <laughs> you kind of forget was... about him. Yeah, I well, because my whole thing was I was wondering the ending of this movie. How was it actually? If it was a real time traveling, or was he just going to his own like uh, world in his head? Yeah, when it hit midnight, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if they were going to go either route with that. Well, it was real. It was happening. <laughs> um, okay, I want to go ahead and pick mine. If you put, I love all these scenes. It's hard to pick, but I guess because I'm a I'm a guy who loves moments of discovery. I will go with when he meets the Fitzgeralds and everyone for the first time. That's my choice. Yorton, what's your pick? Uh, Ernest Hemingway talking uh, talking about uh, uh, who's the best writer. That's a good one. <laughs> he has one of the great lines too. He's like, "I already hate your work." He's like, you haven't read it yet. It's like, if it's good, I'll hate it. If it's bad, I'm going to hate it because it's bad. So that's good. <laughs> Jared, what's your favorite line or scene? Uh, um, definitely, I I want to go with the Salvador Dali. But uh, like again, I got to go with my MVP of the movie, Ernest Hemingway. So I agree with Jordan. There we go. That's a great scene. I mean, any any scene with Hemingway could be the winner. Let's be honest. It's just it's he stole the show. All right. I have three quotes for best line here. Okay. Um, Hemingway says, my opinion is I hate it. Gull is like, well, you haven't even read it yet. If it's bad, I'll hate it because I hate bad writing. If it's good, I'll be envious and hate it all the more. You don't want the opinion of, a, of another writer. And then, which is kind of right, correct because I'm writing, a, I'm trying to write a book right now. And then like, I'll read some of George R.R. R. Martin. I'm like, oh, fuck this guy. I can't read this because it makes me feel inadequate, right? So I just, I can't do it. Um, Second line is when his fiance goes, where would you get such an insane notion? And he goes, where? Hemingway. (laughs) Just so casually. He's like, Hemingway told me. And then the third line is Gertrude Stein says, Hemingway Hemingway did have one plot suggestion. He doesn't quite believe that the protagonist doesn't see that his fiance is having an affair right before his eyes. And it's like, oh shit, she's right. And it's a good moment of discovery for him. But Jerry, why don't you throw uh, your nominee on there? Because I know you mentioned one earlier. Uh, so what? Oh, my phone is back working now. So let me pull it up on my phone. So again, Kathy Bates says, "We all, fe- we all fear death in question to our place in the universe. The artist's job is to not to succumb to despair, but to find an antidote for the emptiness of existence." So. We essentially are the artist of our lives. So life is dark and despair, but we have to find the light in our own lives. So you can attribute that to everything that we do. We have to find the antidote. Because if we don't find the antidote, we're going to succumb to the darkness that is human existence. Man, I was just trying to pull up the more you know sound before you finish so I can get it ready, but I couldn't pull it up. Oh, yes. Look at that. Analyzing critical work right here. Yeah, you want to you sub for my class one day and just give me a day off? That'd be great. Uh, no. Um, I'm, I'm a genius, so <laughs> I'll let that be known. Put that on record. Jordan, write that. Scribe that down. Uh, Dear Gibson, genius. Um, Jordan. May 12th, 2021. 20, <laughs> Yorton, what's your pick, man? Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with Jared on that one because I feel like that 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 part fits the ultimate what this movie's about mm-hmm. and everything, and about just 
learning how to enjoy life and where you're at in life. And I feel like that's what the final final part is about this movie. I think I'm going to go with you guys too. It's it's just a really good line. I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to pick that as well. All right. Before I go into this next category, I want to ask you guys a question because I'll forget if I don't ask now. If you were to get into a car and then when you get out of the car, you're in a different time period. What's your what's your time period? Any one of you, once you think of it, just answer out loud. I really don't know if I'd want... If I would for just a short time, because I don't feel like I'd want to live there. No, but you can always visit. Just just get in the car. Visit. Uh, I think early 1900s, or like 1905 or something, around that time, because I find that it would be an interesting time period, Mm. because that's where you see the big move from... uh, uh, pre-industrial or like where industrialization's really taking over. That's right where you're starting to see cars and everything come in. Play, uh, planes are just now starting to fly, and it's sort of a time period where, yeah, just to see how people react to like the transition, the big transition to mm-hmm. modern technology and stuff. All right, Jared, where and when? Uh, buddy. <laughs> I'm black. I was like, yeah. I knew that was coming. But I was like, maybe, maybe that was set you up for that. You wanted to, I don't know. Uh, you don't have any options? I, I'm not even the future. That accepted to, I'm not even that accepted today. What makes you think I want to go back any day past this <laughs> month? Um, okay, but with that being said, I just had to get that out there. Uh, with that being said, I would. Um, personally, I would like to join, I would like to just be a fly on the wall or just even experience, um, some of the civil rights movements in the 1960s, just be there, you know, with March through Birmingham, uh, here's some speeches, uh, March in Selma, Million Man March and, uh, March on Washington to see the I have a dream speech. Uh, so that's definitely up there. Um, just be in any room with Malcolm X. Um, but outside of that, definitely I would, if I could, I would want to, sorry, I would want to be in the 1860s and 1870s, 1880s and go back to that time period just to see the, uh, wild west because I'm always fascinated by that time period. But obviously if I, person like me appears, I'm dead on the spot. You're going to need to go a little incognito. <laughs> yeah. So, no. I mean, if, if at all possible, that's what I would like to do. Or, if not, I would do definitely do the 1960s civil rights movement. Otherwise, I'm staying, staying right here. So, I feel like I should have gone before you because now I sound like an idiot. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to pick the same time period, but different reasons. I want to I wanna be with the hippies, man. See what that's like. You know, free love. <laughs> Pre-AIDS, there's no AIDS, <laughs> cocaine's flowing around. I mean, I'm not, I've never you done drugs in my life, but whatever. <laughs> uh, huh? I said, you still got syphilis. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but whatever, I'll take some chances. Um, just sounds like a fun time, man. Um, you know, except for the whole, you know, racist stuff going on, but whatever. Um, I'll join you in a march. Um, okay. MVP of the movie. I have Owen Wilson, Corey Stoll as Hemingway, The City of Paris, Woody Allen, who, you know, I'm just going to cross him off the list. Let's get rid of Woody Allen. <laughs> um, and I have Darius Konji, the cinematographer. Yorton, did I miss anybody? Is there anyone you want to add or do you want? are you ready with Hemingway as your pick? I'm ready with Hemingway. <laughs> I'm re- okay. Here's another random fact since we're on that. He once stole a urinal out of his favorite bar and moved it to his Key West home. His reasoning? I, love I pissed away so much of my money in that urinal that I owed it. <laughs> I love that. He felt like an attachment to that urinal. Jared. <laughs> so great. I mean, is there like, we, okay, so let's just, Hemingway's going to win, or Corey Stoll's going to win as Hemingway. I think we all agree, right? But is there anyone you want to like put on there just to like give them the props, like nominate? Who should be nominated? Uh, um, I, would go with, uh, I was going to go with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. 
as like my shout out basically i thought he did a really good job on the uh, with that time period and like really sold me that he was in the 1920s i feel like well for six men i was going to put Corey stolas hemingway but i guess we can't do that now um (laughs) so i don't even know um six man who's a good option here for six man there's so many actually i'm going to say dolly adrian brody is as dolly anybody any other choices for you guys I was going to do Dolly as my shout-out because we only have that one scene. Uh, for my six-man, I was going to go Kurt Fuller. That's Inez's dad. Dad, yeah. Because he was just fucking asshole. So, he, like I was saying, he's the type of asshole that can be in, like, that's like a subtle asshole. Mm-hmm. So, it's just like, okay, we got that he's asshole up front. You don't have to be an overt asshole for the entire movie. You can just be a subtle asshole like Kurt Fuller. And so that's why I, I enjoyed him, but Martin Sheen I did not enjoy because he was just like pounding you in the face instead yeah. of just being subtle like Kurt Fuller. I wanted to pound him in the face, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, I did Kurt too. But <laughs> he was the worst. Uh, I, I guess I wasn't as mad as him because I, I feel like I understood why he was an asshole. Like he wasn't like, yeah, he's an asshole, but I understood him more than mm-hmm. just Paul in the movie where I just felt like no, no, you are just the worst. <laughs> deserve to get beaten up. Where's Hemingway? Maybe we can have Hemingway come up and just beat Oh my him. gosh, I wish <laughs> bring Hemingway to Wes the modern Anderson, time. Make a sequel. Make a sequel. <laughs> hey, Yorton, who's your pick for six man? Uh, six man. Uh, there's a lot to pick from. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm well. I guess I should switch the uh, shout out and everything, and the six man because I had a uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston as shout out. Really, that should have been more of a six yeah, man. Okay. I feel That's, I thought Zelda was and good then, too. Yeah. Oh yeah, Allison Pill. Shout out, Allison Pill. I will always my shout out. Go ahead. So then I'm just going to go with the uh, the party goers at the very beginning with the the shout out. Then like, come on! Yeah, I I just enjoyed that group. <laughs> they didn't say much or anything, but it just it just felt like a night. I guess because everyone was a jerk up to till then that it felt a little refreshing to be like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go hang out and have fun. Come on! It really set it up to be like more of a fun atmosphere. The so se- I was get, I'll get them a shout out. I like the second time he gets in the car and, he, and the guy's like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm Gil. And he's like, I'm Elliot. T. S. Elliot. He's like. <laughs> T.S. Eliot. No, yeah, no way. T.S. Eliot. <laughs> um, okay. Jared, shout out. Uh, I was saying Allison Pill as Zelda Fitzgerald. I'll do that too. Yorton. Hmm? Shout out. What? Oh, who'd you say your shout out I was? Did, at the party goers. That's right. The party goers. I forgot. Okay. The, at the car. Yeah. Anybody have questions? No. We understand the plot of this movie. No questions there. Okay. I'll be quick with the trivia here. All right. Carla Bruni who plays the tour guide at the museum, was also the first lady of France at the time that they were filming this because she was married to the president of France, Nicolas Sarkozy. Um, the story that Gil discusses with Luis Benuel, who is one of the surrealist guys at that bar with Adrian Brody as Dolly, when he's uh, like, you know, you should make a movie about people having di- a dinner conversation they just can't leave. And he's like, what do you mean they can't leave? Oh, they just can't find the will to leave the tables. Like, but why can't they leave? That whole thing. That, that was actually a film he makes, I guess, in the future called The Exterminating, Exterminating Angel. And it was made in 1962. Woody Allen's first film to gross over $100 million worldwide. As of 2016, this is his highest grossing film with over 150, or $150 million worldwide on a $17 million budget. So that's a lot of money. Um, Rachel McAdams and Michael Sheen began an off-screen romance during the filming of this movie. So the two assholes started dating. (laughs) This is one of four movies in which Rachel McAdams stars as a love interest of a time traveler. The other ones are The Time Traveler's Wife, um, About Time, Doctor Strange, although I guess he does travel in that time, and then this movie. So that's four. All right, y'all. 
You ready for some Rotten Tomatoes game? Oh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes. It's the Rotten Tomatoes game. All right, Yorton, what did this movie get in Rotten Tomatoes, and why do you think it got that? Uh, I am going to go with an 88 since there was, uh, since it did get Oscar nominations on some of the key areas. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that would be a strong holding on it. So I'm going to go with an 88. And this week we're going to find out if Jared is going to play fair or not. And if he's going to price his right you. Jared, what did this movie get in Rotten Tomatoes? Um, so I'm going to say this is pre, I mean, obviously it's pre- um, expose of Woody Allen so he was everyone in Hollywood loved yeah. him at this time so I'm actually going to go higher than Jordan I'm going to go with 92 one of y'all is one point away this movie got a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes oh. it had an 83 uh, audience score but Damn, Jared. I thought about that to double up your points. That was nice. Uh, yeah, no, dude. Like, everyone in Hollywood loved Woody Allen. Obviously, pre-X was a... Um, he has some great movies, like, though, to be fair. I mean, no, no, I'm not knocking him, but I'm just saying, like, they really loved him. Yeah. Like, they loved his movies. They loved everything about him. So why wouldn't they go above and beyond and rating all of his movies super high? Um. Roger Ebert gave this three and a half out of four stars, which is really high for Roger Ebert. Um, I pulled quite a bit out of his review here, so just bear with me here because I feel like I pulled stuff that kind of is what we talked about, and I, I, I like that when we agree with him. He says, this review contains spoilers. Oh, yes, it does, because I can't imagine a way to review this movie without discussing the delightful fantasy at the heart of his new comedy. The trailers don't give it away, but now the reviews from Canes have appeared and the cat is pretty much out of the bag. If you're still reading, give yourself a fair chance to guess the secret by reading through the list of characters' names in the credits. I mean, if you go on IMDb, it's, it's going to ruin a lot for you, right? Because all the character names. Um, he says, this film is sort of a daydream for American lit majors. I put that, I copied that because I was like, that's very true. As someone who teaches English, like this is definitely a daydream. Uh, Woody Allen assumes some famili- familiarity with the, this generation, their generation, and, and some moviegoers will be mystified because cultural literacy is not often required at the movies anymore. Others will be less, or others will be as charmed as I was. So that's a point I want to talk about too, that we kind of talked about talked about earlier. Like, if you have a knowledge of some of this history, this movie is probably a little bit more enjoyable for you, right? But if you have no idea who Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald is, do you think this movie would hit the same, Yorton? Uh, maybe not. I don't, maybe not have the same cultural reference and everything on it and how uh, how key these people are and to, to sort of sh- uh, sell why he's so excited. But at the same time, he you do get that feedback from how excited he is as a writer. So mm-hmm. I feel like people would quickly pick up on how important they were they'd be like yeah this 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 has got to be someone important um he talks about that scene where he talks to Manuel and he's like you should write this movie about this and this right and he says alan seems a there's some it's a scene that might not connect with many people but woody allen seems aware that he's flirting with inside baseball and tries to make this movie charming even for someone who is texting all during high school um uh, another treasure in the film is Kathy Bates's performance. She is much as I would imagine Ger- Gertrude Stein, an American, practical, no-nonsense, possessed with a nose for talent, kind, patient. She's something like the Stein evoked by Hemingway in A Movable Feast, blah, blah, blah. All right, um, this is Woody Allen's 41st, 41st film. He writes his films himself. He directs them with wit and grace. I consider him a treasure. Again, this is before we knew what we knew. Um... Some people take him for granted, although Midnight in Paris reportedly charmed even the jaded veterans of the Canes press screenings. There's nothing to dislike about it. Either you connect with it or not. I'm wearing of I'm getting tired You've of got mail. Oh, sorry. I'm getting tired of movies that are for everybody, which means nobody in particular. Midnight in Paris, for me in particular, is that kind of movie and I'm just fine with it. 
Um, so that's his review. All right. I'm going to recommend this movie to anyone unless to anyone over 30. I will recommend this movie. I feel like you'd enjoy it a lot. I am going to put it in the Hall of Fame, but I know I'm coming from a perspective of an English teacher and you guys probably don't feel the same way, but I've seen this movie unsurprised. I'm surprised I've seen it probably four to five times now in five years and I've enjoyed it all the way through every single time. So I, I was like, I guess I have to put it in the Hall of Fame if, if that's the case. So that, that's my reason. But I'm curious, where are you guys at, Jared? Um, I will only recommend this movie if you have not seen it. I will not put it in the Hall of Fame because I do not want to support Woody Allen. <laughs> Our Hall of Fame does not support him. But <laughs> if Wes Anderson... I mean, if it's in the, the Hall of Fame, it? I'm going to watch it again. And I will not want to watch it again. Okay. I, I, I agree. I'm not going to argue with you. If it was made by Wes Anderson, would you change your mind? Or is it still not... A Hall of Fame movie for it's you. a different movie then. No, if, I mean, it, it's no, if it was movie. the same movie, but it just said direct by Wes Anderson. No, no, because it's a different movie. I already told you at the beginning if Wes Anderson directed this, yeah, because it'd be a better movie. No, time out, time out. I'm saying if nothing changed about the movie except it said directed by Wes Anderson, the movie itself, do you think it's worthy? Yes or no? Just curious. Yeah, okay. But it's not going in because <laughs> I'm not going to watch it again. I just wanted to see where your head was at, for sure. Um, Yorton. No. No? Okay. Cool. Well, this movie is highly recommended, I think. You recommend it, at least? I would say... Uh, probably going back to the whole English... If you're an English or history person, I would probably recommend it because I like the those factors on it. But just, like, the random Joe off the street, I don't know. That might be a tough sell for me to recommend them yeah i'm saying yeah probably if you're into like if you only go to movies to see marvel movies and fast and furious it's probably not the movie for you i do love those movies yeah but that's not all you go to (laughs) i know i'm just messing with um so yeah it's definitely for people who just maybe don't need action all the time anyways what are we doing next week y'all do we pick a category yep what was that category i forgot Best Picture nominees. Oh, that's right. So we're going to pick from movies that the movie you pick has to be nominated for a yeah. Best Picture. So it can be a winner or a nomination, but it has to be in that category. Jared, you ready? So through my research, did y'all know Babe was nominated oh, for oh, Best yeah. Are you going to make me watch Babe right now? No, I was just saying. Like, oh, okay. Thank God. I, no, I'm telling you the notes from my research. Okay. All right, okay. I have my movie pick. Oh yeah, um, I, that that I want to say best actor nomination too for, or for James for Cromwell. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, also, in two thousand nine, Up was nominated for best picture, rightfully so. And the very first animated movie nominated for best picture was Beauty and the Beast in nineteen ninety one, which is the reason why we now have best animated movie. Pretty yep. much. I mean, we got three doses of trivia on this episode. Yorton with the with the trivia on Hemingway, me with the movie trivia, and you with the the Oscar trivia. This is you're welcome, listeners. So yeah, no, it's um, and then obviously in 2009. Uh, so after 2008, they got a lot of backlash. They were just like, not a lot of movies are nominated. We need to expand the category. So in 2009, they expanded it, even though the movie that won in 2008 should have won, which was Slumdog Millionaire. Hell yeah. Great movie. Because I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like one of those near perfect movies, but they got a lot of backlash for it, so they expanded the category, and that's why it was kind of funny. The very next year, Up was nominated um, with the expansion, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and a couple other animated films, such as like Hugo, Toy Story Three, were nominated throughout as well. But comes down to my choice, so I'm actually not going to pick. And just a nomination. I'm gonna pick a winner. Okay. And so it was tough because I really want us to watch Moonlight because uh, we have not done a movie with a black lead yet. Mm-hmm. But Moonlight is a tough watch for me. It's a really uh, heart wrenching movie. So I'm gonna go with another movie that I love. That's fun. That's upbeat. Uh, 2014 Best Picture winner, Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, directed by. Alejandro Inarritu. 
I like this director. I've never seen Birdman though. Oh, I've been meaning to see Birdman, but I never sat down and watched it. Such a great movie. And I, and I know this is the big movie that people were like, "Oh man, they did it. They made it look like just one continuous cut." Mm. I read or I heard, and this is probably giving away the Hall of Fame nominee for it. But it's a movie you need to watch once, but you'll probably never watch again. But I don't care because I need to watch it to form my own opinion. You know, it's it's on my list of I should probably watch this movie. <laughs> So cool. All right, man. We're going to watch Birdman. We're going to watch Batman become Birdman, I guess. <sighs> anything anything you want to plug before we sign off, y'all? Um, We need to fire up the Twitch channel. I need to log in. You guys can watch me uh, get murdered because um, I upped the difficulty in um, Ghost of Tsushima. So I have not been doing that <laughs> lately. I need to stream it so all two of our listeners can just watch me get murdered over and over. But uh, yeah, no, gotta fire for the Twitch stream. That is uh, so you watch that Blockbuster HOF on Twitch, and summer's about to hit for me, so I'm about to have some free time. So that'll be fun. Maybe we can play some like Rocket League together, Jared. Oh uh, yeah, anything that I just don't get like murdered endlessly. So all right, <laughs> I'm down for play whatever. Yorton, anything you want to plug? Oh, twice in one episode. <laughs> oh, not at the end. I'm going to drink now. He's muted. Oh, I'm mute. It's all right. Sorry. Anything you want to plug? Nah, there's nothing right now at the moment I want to plug. Sweet. All right, guys. Um, all right, until next time, we'll be talking about Birdman. I'll see you guys later. All right. See ya. See ya.